Hey guys, it's Kurt, and uh, John and I today are going to be interviewing Brian Seagraves and Hunter Levine about their book, Gender, A Conversation Guide for Parents and Pastors. Before we jump into the conversation, uh, I just wanted to remind you uh, to check out the RYM Student Podcast this week, as well as the local youth worker. Anyway, here's our conversation, our first time to ever have four people in on the podcast, our conversation with Hunter and Brian. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, hello, welcome to Parenting Today. Uh, my name is Kurt Cooper, and of course, I'm joined by John Parrott. Say hello, John. Hey, Kurt. How's it going? But this is a really special episode because this is a four-man podcast today. We're doing, we've done three before, but today we have the authors of Gender, a conversation guide for parents and pastors, uh, Brian Seagraves and Hunter Levine. Uh, Brian and Hunter, do you want to say hello real quick? Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, we're going to be talking about this book, and uh, and it's uh, it's really exciting whenever we can have authors on. Uh, it's also really exciting because getting free books is you know why I do podcasting. So uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's all selfish, right, Kurt? Yes, that's it, John. Uh, before we get into maybe talking to uh, Hunter and Brian about who they are and where they're from, why don't you tell us where you can acquire uh, this book? all the different places you can acquire this book. Yeah, you can pick it up at Amazon or on any kind of a number of websites, including christianbook.com. But Mm -hmm. it's pretty easy just to go in there on Google and search. Uh, Some local bookstores might have it, but it just kind of depends on where you're at. Okay. And the other thing, and we can we can get into this later, but if you go to the Good Book Company website, they're the they're the publisher. They actually have like bundle deals. So if you're a church and you want to get this book and, and give it to your parents, there's special pricing for that. And it's it's already a, an affordable book, but they'll even kind of, you know, knock the price down if you want to use this as a ministry resource for your families. Yeah, that that's good. And and like you said, we might get into this, but I'm glad you, you brought that up here because you know, serving in student ministry for for many years, um, finding books that deal with, you know, heady subjects like this or controversial topics, sensitive topics, but but having it in a format that's very readable and accessible is important. And so just letting people know, I mean, this book is Almost a booklet. It's definitely, if some of you are familiar with the talking points uh, booklets that the Good Book Company puts out, it's about that size, a little bit more. Uh, what do we say, 80 pages or so um, in that booklet uh, style? So very accessible, not intimidating at all. Um, so that's good to know you can order in bulk like that. A little background on where you're based out of now, where you're from, um, a little bit about you and your family, um, just so uh, the people who are listening can get an idea of. Uh, what you guys are like. Yeah. So my name's Hunter Levine. I'm the college pastor at City Church Tallahassee. I have a background in youth ministry, but the past two years I've been working with college students here in Tallahassee, Florida. So we have Florida State FAMU, which is a historically black university and a large community college. So my weekly activities are pretty focused around mobilizing and equipping college students to be able to make disciples and to share the gospel and to engage faithfully on campus. And I'm also married to my high school sweetheart, who is uh, also the kids director at City Church. So a lot of next-gen ministry happening in our family. And we have a beautiful two-and-a-half-year-old girl named Azaria. 
That's great. Now, I wasn't planning on mentioning it, but I actually am married to my high school sweetheart, too. Not that we need to turn this into wow. a competition. We, uh, we've been married for five years. Her name's Patty. Um, and we've got a little girl who's a little over one. Her name is Piper. Um, and Hunter and I go to the same church. Um, I don't, I'm not on staff there, but I, I serve. I've been going to City Church Tallahassee for about three years. Um, I'm the, the kind of host of Unapologetic, a, a podcast. And also there's a, there's a book on apologetics with the same name. And my day job is a leading product strategy for a large software company. So I'm kind of all over the place in some ways. Before, I want to ask the silly question, but um, are you guys big Knowles fans? Does that just kind of come with the territory? Uh, Brian's definitely not a big Knowles fan. And uh, I'm about <laughs> as casual of a fan that you can be with a couple hundred college students who go there. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty casual. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, Go ahead, John. Yeah, and we, we can tell with four of us on this podcast, there's going to be some interrupting, so we're just going to have to kind of push through it and figure this thing out. Uh, but look, Brian and Hunter, we really appreciate you guys taking the time out. And uh, as always, I mean, producing a resource like this is a service to the kingdom, and we appreciate you guys uh, putting this together. And, and really, I wanted us to, to start there is how did you come up with the, the concept of this booklet? I mean, you, you said the two of you worked together in a church, I'm sure, you know, had some conversations that, that led to this, but just give us some of the, the origins of this, this concept. Yeah. So like Brian mentioned, we both attend the same church. We're part of the same covenant community and we were pretty close friends talking about just different challenges that we were experiencing within our families and within the life of our church. And we just really realized that there was a need for some relevant, biblical, accessible content for families and also for pastors to help families in order to engage on some of these really important topics. And so we started to discuss, okay, what does this look like? How can we do this uh, for families across the United States and across the world who are trying to faithfully raise up children and the next generation. And we looked through some different topics, some different ideas on what that might look like, and we landed on first wanting to go into the conversation of gender. And we just uh, we felt like there was a really big need for clarity. 50 years ago, if you had written a book on gender, people would have laughed at you hmm. because there was a lot of clarity in the home on the issue, and there wasn't a big felt need there. But when we first began writing this several years ago, it was really when things were starting to get really confusing. And so really what we began to do was kind of compile, what does Scripture teach us about gender? Let's start with Scripture. Let's try to, to really study it, try to break it into a, a easy-to-access <laughs> document for parents. Uh, and we kind of reasoned from there and worked from there. And so that's kind of how it came to be. And we wanted it to be short because we wanted it to be easily accessible to a soccer mom or to a dad. It's certainly not meant to be an all comprehensive book. There's a couple other great books out there on gender, including Andrew Walker's book. This is supposed to really help people think through how am I going to lay different foundations for my child so that they can understand gender in a way that aligns with scripture and is faithful to what God has called us to do. So. <laughs> If I could follow up real quick, how much of how much of the motivation to write this book was from you raising your own children and how much of it was from issues that maybe you faced in your ministries? Was it, you know? Yeah, yeah. so both of us have, have kids that are really young where we haven't had to encounter many of those uh, struggles yet. But in our community of, of friends and people we're close with, 
um, you know, over the last years, they've had to deal with, okay, well, at the end of school in May, um, we had a classmate who everyone thought was a boy in fourth grade, and they came back and were saying that they were a girl um, and had a girl's name and, and used the restroom with my son. Like, these are the conversations we're having in multiple ways and at multiple times with our group of friends that, that we're, you know, going through life with. And parents are struggling to to figure this out. So it wasn't so much from personal need um, immediately, though we want to obviously think clearly on this too, as, as our kids get to be more of that age. Um, but it came from seeing the need in our community. And the other thing I would add on, and this is kind of telling a little bit of, of Hunter's story, is Hunter spent most of his time in ministry with um, kind of the, the youth age of, of students. And this is really a wedge issue for them. The, the, the um, kind of path we take in the book is, yes, gender is important, but how you think about gender because of how culture at large is thinking about gender would may likely separate someone from relying on the Bible as an authority because the stakes are getting really high, right? There's not really a middle ground here. You can't say, well, I'm not really sure if I'm going to adopt the, the kind of majority view or at least the, the loudest view of gender and culture today, or am I going to stand with the Bible? No, everything's getting increasingly polarized. And so for many people, um, because they don't want to be looked down on by their friends, they don't want to be called a bigot, they don't want to be ostracized, they're rejecting what the Bible says because they don't actually see it as true, and more than that, they don't see it as good. Like, I have a, back, a background in apologetics, and, and historically we've said, oh, we need to give defenses for why Christianity is true. That is true, but we need to give uh, defenses of, of all the things the Bible teaches on how it's good and beautiful and wholesome, and it makes sense of the world. And so that's the path we come at in the book. It, the, the fear is not so much that a, a child will, will struggle with their gender identity. You know, everyone kind of goes through, how, what, what's it mean to be a man? What's it mean to be a woman? What's it mean to be a boy? What's it mean to be a girl? We all work through that as we go through puberty and different points in life. Um, but statistically, most children are not going to struggle with their gender identity or be transgender. However, for the vast majority of our students in youth ministry today, I, I think they're struggling with, am I going to have allegiance to Scripture or allegiance to God's Word? And the gender issue, the full range of LGBT plus issues are, are really forcing them to work through that. And, and yeah, I would just, I, I wanted ahead. to add on that real quick. So from my unique position, so Brian's position has really been involved in apologetics but my position has been really involved in youth ministry and college ministry. And if you want to think about raising up generations, for lack of a better phrase, I've spent most of my ministry career working on the back end of the equation, working on students as they transition into adulthood. And what Brian was saying is really important because this is what I was noticing with a lot of LGBTQ issues, which is that you have one group of people who are very passionate about what they believe. They have bumper stickers. They put it in their bio. They have all sorts of different, uh, they have parades. They have different things that they use to show, hey, what we believe we are passionate about, we think it's right, we think it's beautiful, we're proud of it. And the church has kind of shrunken away from that as far as we have a beautiful design for sexuality and gender that's been given to us by the creator of the universe. We have nothing to be ashamed of. We should feel excited to talk about it. We should lift it up regardless of how it's received. 
And I think there is this sense where we need to kind of rediscover the beauty in God's design on gender and on sexuality. And so that's a, an important piece for us was, yes, we're, we're trying to think about our own families, absolutely, but the church at large is really missing this because they tend to do two things. They tend to either not talk about it at all, which isn't going to cultivate a, a, a view that says God's design is beautiful, or they're going to talk about it in a really antagonistic way that tends to be more about attacking the quote-unquote other side than actually elevating the truth of what God's Word says. I was just wondering, um, in your opinion, do you think that's because uh, the church just got lazy in its in it, or got got used uh, to the status quo, whereas like in the LBGT community, they've been fighting against, they've been kind of the oppressed, you know, and so uh, they they really have had to um, have the bumper stickers and have the parades because they're trying to fight for something where. Uh, you know, the, maybe the church in America got a little bit lazy uh, because we thought we were fine here. And so now we don't really do you think that's that's a factor at all? Um, oh, yeah, what, I, I yeah. definitely do. I think going back to what Hunter mentioned a minute ago, that if you were to talk about gender or or what what is an appropriate sexual relationship look like? 50 years ago, the culture would have agreed. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone practiced it. We're not saying there was some mm-hmm. golden age where everyone was you know, practicing chastity and sexual purity. <laughs> but nonetheless, the ideas that were held or at least espoused were more in line with biblical norms, even if they may have been divorced from the gospel. And so I think we got comfortable and thought inertia was just going to carry us through. Mm-hmm. But what we didn't realize is the culture was changing very quickly and we weren't being, just as Christians or evangelicals in the Western world, intentional enough about discipling our kids, because there didn't used to be this big perceived dif- difference from what the culture believed and what we believed. But parents often don't have, it seems like, a category for realizing their kids will be discipled. The question is, who's going to disciple them? Are they going to disciple their kids, or is the world going to disciple their kids? And to add on that, I think that when you look at the past 50 so odd years of the church, you see this increasing privatization of sexuality, marriage, the family. So when we when when the church began for lack of a better phrase to shut their mouth on divorce and marriage and not teach what God's word says about the family, then there's obviously going to be downstream effects of that and I think that this privatized view of sexuality and marriage <laughs> and the family has certainly really hurt, you know, uh, being able to to address these issues. And so I think there's also this sense where people don't look to the church. They might look to the church and to their senior pastor for inspiration, but they don't really want certain things of their life to be encroached upon. All that's very contrary to how Scripture works. Yeah, and moving also moving away from Scripture too. If you think about it, I mean, more and more the church has moved away from grounding what it does in the Bible um, to programs or. Uh, to try to get people in the door whatever way possible. Uh, you know, I, I because I'm a youth minister, I run into this too. I'll, I'll meet a student who's in college or has gotten out of college, and they'll say, well, I used to think that homosexuality was a sin, but then I met people, I moved to New York City, or I moved somewhere, and I met a lot of people who were um, homosexual, and now I realize, well, there's just no way that that's the wrong way to live. And I don't say this to the student, but I think to myself, what you're telling me is um, you based your beliefs about this particular issue on your small circle that you lived in. They weren't really based on what the Bible says. They were based on what you were exposed to. And now that you're exposed to different things, you've changed your beliefs. And, you know, I think one of the main things, what I enjoy about your book, I think even in the the, uh, common 
common comments that you're going to receive in the back. I, I really enjoyed that part of the book. And I, I saw, you know, one of the things that people are going to say is, well, the Bible is outdated. Um, we need, why, why would we, why would we listen to what the Bible has to say? And you guys answer that, you know, answer that objection in the book, which I really appreciated. Um, John, no one's let you talk in a minute. So we should well, probably, honestly, just, you look really sad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, no, um, I'm enjoying the conversation, and you guys are saying so many good things. Uh, I mean, there's so many points I'm wanting to jump in on and say, let's just focus on on this. But Brian and Hunter, something you both said was just recapturing the beauty of what we have to offer and the message of Scripture. And I'm thinking of um, Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body, and just the title there and how ultimately the, the biblical view of the body is loving the body. And, um, and so just you know, focusing on the beauty uh, that we have in scripture and, you know, passing this on to the next generation for them to see, look, this is a beautiful design that God has for, you know, gender specifically here. Um, but, but wanting to go back because as you two start off the booklet, you talk about two massive dangers that are kind of at the, the foundation of this topic. And a lot of what you said are, are pointing to those factors, but could you unpack those, those two kind of massive dangers uh, for us? I think, again, just very helpful place to begin. Yeah, I'd be happy to. The first danger we talk about is the danger of misplaced identity. One of the reasons that this is such a challenging topic to talk about is because there's this sense where sexuality and gender gets associated with people's identity and they see their sexuality and they see their um, preferred gender or, you know, as a, a part of really what makes them them. And it's a very important piece. So this is where if, if you are on social media, if you do have friends who are in same sex relationships or maybe suffer from gender dysphoria, what you began to notice really is that it, it's a really, really, for many, a really, really important piece of their life. And yes, there's a sense where, you know, we want to see people understand God's design for gender, but not missed in that is we want them to also see their identity in Jesus Christ, that there's a sense of misplaced identity that comes with sexuality and gender in a way that it doesn't come with certain other things. So like, you know, if you have somebody who is struggling with pornography, you know, they're they're probably not putting that on their bio. They're probably not marching in a parade. They probably don't have a bumper sticker, right? But there is a sense that we need to be really delicate with, that we understand that this is not just a small sliver of this person's life to them. It's it's who they are. As Christians, we have to keep it in the forefront that, no, they are made in the image of God, that they are loved by God, and that their identity, we want to desire them to see their identity in Jesus Christ. So there's a level of empathy, too, that we approach the issue with because we understand that, one, there's the danger of misplaced identity. Um, the second danger that we talk about in the book is the danger of unrecognized authority. And Brian alluded to this a little bit earlier, but um, the odds of, of your child or a student in your ministry— Although these these things are changing at rapid onset gender dysphoria, there's other things, but you know the odds of of that happening are not overwhelming. Many people listening to this podcast will probably not experience the challenge of somebody directly in in their family dealing with this a particular issue. 
But everybody is has a shared issue of where is the authority for our lives. And so if you were to go on a high school campus today and you begin to ask students what they think about gender and where they believe, you know, they can understand truth, the answers would be pretty concerning. It certainly wouldn't be rooted in scripture. So we believe that this, the biggest danger in this really for the next generation is that it would be a wedge between them and God's word, that this would be the first big thing for many students to say, I'm going to base my view on gender off halftime shows and celebrity interviews and personal experiences with friends rather than v- basing my view in the scriptures. So that's we we wanted that to be really talked about in the beginning too that you're you're just because your child doesn't have gender dysphoria does not mean that they're not being impacted by this issue because there is this issue of authority for Christians. We believe that uh, that our ultimate authority for life is the scriptures, not culture, not feelings, not interpersonal relationships. We can have empathy, but ultimately the authority lies in scripture. So those are the two things that we talk about at the beginning of the book. And so one of the things that's that's key there is we want children from a very early age to use scripture as they, the lens they see the world through. And yet what's often happening, and you alluded to this a little while ago, is people are having relationships and experiences, and then they're using those to turn back and look at Scripture through those experiences. And and of course they come up with something different than the Church has believed for 2,000 years, and that the words of Scripture actually mean in their context. So if we can teach children, one, that, that God is not unacquainted with the suffering in the world. He, he doesn't, you know, not know about gender and sex, but he actually has a really good design for it. And we look at everything else in light of that biblical worldview. I think children have a, a better chance of, of maintaining and staying the course in the faith. And one thing that, that really started to stand out for me is how quickly this issue was changing. Um, and, and I had the opportunity to go to a church and, um, and talk about homosexuality to three different age groups. Um, and what, what I started out doing each time was showing Matthew Vines his five-minute video for why he thinks same-sex relationships can be good, holy, and, and pleasing to God, and how the, the six passages in the Bible that traditionally have been used to say that that's not the case, they're actually misunderstood. So I showed this video to a group of senior adults, and they you know, were often kind of like visibly kind of repulsed by what they heard and everything like that. They couldn't necessarily tell you why he was wrong, but they knew deep down in them that this was wrong. I showed it to a group of, of kind of median adults, 30 age. Some of these are the kids of the senior adults. Very quiet response. No one wanted to be the first person to speak. It was kind of like, okay, is this right? Is this wrong? I'm not so sure. Like, I definitely, I don't have, I know it's not a safe place to say if I agree with it, but, you know, that sort of thing. And then I showed it to a group of, of high school seniors. Um, same church. Some <laughs> of these are the grand kids of that initial group. And I finished and I said, what do you all think about it? And, you know, this is a conservative, uh, conservative evangelical church. And many people said, yeah, I agree with that. And I was not expecting that. And I had to tell them, um, I'm here today. We're going to walk through how this is actually incorrect. But it changed that quickly. Where, and if you had told their parents they were going to agree with this, they would have been shocked. They would, they would have not have expected that at all. But the, the authority issue is huge, and it really does tie back into they're talking with friends who have their identity based on this, and the church hasn't done a good job describing what love actually is. We've let culture define that word. And so these, these kids who are growing up, even with a, a solid faith background in some ways, let culture co-opt the terms, and then they change how they view the Bible as a result. Well, I mean, that, that's a sobering story for sure. And to, th- to think about, you know, these 
people under one roof at one church having this, you know, wide a variety of reaction uh, to a statement that was made. And I think, you know, that goes back to kind of Kurt's point of the church being a little lazy and, you know, discipling this next generation in this specific area. And so again, just pointing people back to your book, I like how you break up your book into specific age sections and just kind of walking parents and pastors along to, you know, age appropriate conversations and something, you know, along those lines, you know, what would you say to those parents that kind of push back against having this conversation uh, too early? Because, you know, again, as y'all finish your book, you say, you know, it's um, never too late to have these conversations, but it's never too early as well. And, And I know for sure some people might push back against that and say, well, this is a very weighty conversation. How can we be talking to young children about gender and these issues? So, so what's, what's some advice and thoughts to those parents and pastors out there thinking that way? Yeah, we've already seen that, too, through some different articles that have been posted. People will comment and say, you know, they're just kids. Let them be kids. And I do think that when you read the book, you understand that there is an age-appropriate level to these conversations. So the goal of the book is not to you know, have somebody have some sort of inappropriate conversation, you know, with a kid before they're ready for certain pieces, but just to talk about how do we build these layers, uh, in a way that makes sense and is faithful to scripture. But I would say that it's pretty naive, regardless of what situation you're in to think that this conversation isn't happening. We're trying to help you be the biblical voice at the seat of the table. An illustration I've used before is, you know, when a child enters your life, It's like they sit down at a table and there's different seats with different people speaking into their life. You have culture, you have education, you have media, you have friends and people in the community. You have all these different voices in their life. The conversation isn't, is it's the question isn't, is this conversation going to happen for your child or for children in your church community? The conversation is, are you willing to lead it? Are you willing to sit down at the head of the table and declare the scriptures and Every time you walk in, uh, just think about this. Every time you walk into a clothing store, a part of the conversation is happening. Is there a a men's section and a female section? Is there a section in between? Are there gender-specific bathrooms? Um, But yeah, when when you go to the mall and you go into a store and, you know, you see a men's section and a women's section in clothing, you see different restrooms. Is there gender-specific restrooms? We're beginning to see more and more um, non-gender binary restrooms. I mean, all these different things that are happening are, are a part of the conversation. So I think parents do have to understand, Hey, this conversation is happening. If you read the book, you understand that there's ways for you to strategically sequence that. So I have a two and a half year old in my home. The thing that we're really focused on right now with, with my two and a half year old is her understanding that God is a good creator You see that butterfly? God created that butterfly exactly the way that he wanted that butterfly to be. Isn't it so beautiful? Isn't the way that God creates things so beautiful? I'm not sitting down with my two-and-a-half-year-old and and having a conversation about gender dysphoria. That's, That's not clicking on her level. But I am having conversations with her. There's a good creator God who has given us his word. We read scriptures together. We pray together. We talk about, uh, she's memorizing Psalm 23 right now, almost has it fully memorized. There's, there's a God who loves her, who's her shepherd, who walks with her, who cares about her. 
let's start there. So when people are like, oh, this is inappropriate for kids, they haven't read the book because the book begins <laughs> with God himself and the scriptures. And then we're going to we're going to try to be proactive and try to lead the conversation, not be reactive on the back end. I have kind of a follow-up question since we're talking about talking to children, and this might be a—I ask really bad questions, so this might be one of my classic <laughs> bad questions, but um, we I had an experience where I was—you know, I'm in, I guess, what we would call, you know, middle adulthood, I'm in my 30s, and I was having a conversation with a fellow parent, and they were talking about their frustration over this issue or how this, like, fear about gender and about what's happening in the culture has really changed the way that we parent. Uh, and it um, and it's taken things that we would have ignored before, and it's made them maybe way more important than they should be, or they've become more severe. And in this example, uh, this guy was saying that uh, they were talking to, I think at this time, this child was like three or four years old. I'm pretty young. And uh, we said, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's a little boy. And the little boy said, well, I'm going to be mommy when I grow up. And uh, he said that, he looked at his son square in the eye and he said, listen to me, you can only be a boy. Boys are boys and girls are girls. You can never be a mommy. And he said that the, his wife had to come beside and be like, it's okay. He doesn't know what he's talking about. That's not what the, the issue, but it just, it, it highlighted for me the fact that like, that is a, that's a fear that I think a lot of parents are operating out of this fear of like, you know, if the son like puts on mommy's high heels as a joke, all of a sudden that's not a joke anymore. That's like, oh, well, we have to take this seriously. And anyway, one thing I appreciate about, appreciate about your book was that, you know, it goes in stages and, um, you know, there are appropriate things to talk about at appropriate times. But I, I wondered if you guys would comment about that kind of like the fear that is maybe motivating a lot of what's going on in parenting right now, especially as relates to this issue. Yeah, there, there's a lot there. I mean, at a, at a foundational level, if it's this conversation, if it's not even dealing with parenting, Christians should not react from a place of fear. And mm. often when we're reacting, it's because we haven't been proactive enough before that. But for, regardless, I mean, we're going to get surprised with things, right? You can mm. only prepare so much, and then you've, you've got to make, <laughs> you know, like, on the, on the uh, spur-of-the-moment decisions. But, but fear is not a good response there. Um, the, the first thing, and, and I, I teach people this when we're dealing with talking with people of other religions, when someone makes a statement, don't just come in and reply, but ask, you know, why do you say that? Can you give me some reasons for that? And so this little boy, and I don't know anything about that situation, right? It's the first time I've heard that story. But when he says, I want to be mommy when I grow up, well, why, why do you want to be mommy? Right? Yeah. Is it because that she's kind and she cares for other people? Like, gosh, if those are the reasons, and it has nothing to do with gender and her anatomy and the clothes she wears, like, I want to encourage that, right? Not that that's the, the sum total of what anyone should want to be, but those are really good attributes. And there are documented stories where little kids have said at that age, four and five, you know, I want to be a girl. And what sometimes the reason is, is maybe they just had a, a little girl be born in their family and that little girl is getting the attention because they're a newborn baby. And so they think, well, that's what it means um, to, to be loved. And so a lot of times, especially at that age, the, the kids can't articulate the full uh, understanding of even what they're feeling or, or why they're they're thinking the way they are, and they certainly don't have this robust understanding of gender dysphoria, and you know, you're you can be a different <laughs> gender than your sex and your biology, and people assigned this to you, and you know, there's there's tyranny and oppression out in the world. They don't have those categories, and so if we ask them questions to try and understand where they're coming from, we might actually learn one, there's not nearly as much to be afraid of in that specific circumstance, but we might actually be able to encourage them in something. Um, that they're seeing partially correct, we can give them different terms. 
But the the other thing I would add is, it, it legitimately is a more difficult uh, situation today to raise kids, especially around gender, than it used to be. Now, our mm-hmm. book stays away from talking about gender stereotypes. Um, we don't we don't spend a lot of time talking about well, boys do these things and girls do these things. Um, but I, I will just simply say, it's difficult because if you have let's just say a, a boy who um, says he wants to be a girl, likes doing girls' clothes, uh, wearing girls' clothes, and maybe um, participating in, in activities that have traditionally been more feminine, he will probably or may get pushed into identifying as a girl. Like in public school today, in many school districts, um, you can get, uh, the, the, the school can actually encourage the child to change their gender identity. They do not have to tell the parent. And so there is a legitimate concern, I don't want to say fear, but concern parents should have about that sort of thing. Um, that, that shouldn't cause us to make rash decisions. It shouldn't cause us to come down and, and you know, crush their spirit. Um, but there, there is a concern that I think people are going to have to navigate in their specific context, in their specific communities, to realize that oftentimes the people who are supposed to be standing in the place of parents, our educators in schools, may not hold the same principles and values and may not even think that we need to be informed of the decisions they're counseling our children with. Yeah, that, that's really good. And I, I think this is probably a good point to take a break and pick this up on, on Thursday. Uh, just a reminder, the book is Gender, a conversation guide for parents and pastors. Uh, Brian Seagraves and Hunter Levine uh, have been with us today. We're going to continue our conversation with them on Thursday. We're going to talk about preparing our children for persecution. We're going to be talking about addressing feelings and tolerance and, and other things like that. So be sure to tune back in on Thursday.